You're listening to a podcast from Bayside Church International. Elijah took on the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And basically, we're going to have a contest and we're going to say, see whose God is actually got any power, whose God is God around here. So they went to the top of Mount Carmel and the idea was to set up altars and a sacrifice and would then ask your particular God to set it on fire. And this will show something. So 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20, this is what happened. Ahab, who was the king, and he was married to Jezebel. She was a nasty piece of work, by the way. Summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. <coughs> then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people remained completely silent. Could you imagine that if that was put to the church? You've got a funny sort of church there, but that's exactly what happened there. Then in verse 24, this is what Elijah said, Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting the fire to the wood is the true God. And everyone agreed. All the people agreed. Then we go down to verse 36. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar. By the way, the prophets of Baal and Asherah had been at it all afternoon, yelling and screaming and dancing and cutting themselves, and nothing happened. Oh, nothing happened. And so it's Elijah's turn at the time of the sacrifice. So he walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burnt up the young bull, the wood, the stones, that's impressive, and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench and when all the people saw this, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Amen. What was needed here was a demonstration of the power of God. And it was at this demonstration of the power of God, the people acknowledged that the Lord is God. Up until then, they'd been silent, not saying a thing. And in a sense, Jesus took a similar approach. Jesus performed miraculous signs, did incredible things, and some of them like are just unbelievable. And this got people's attention. It proved to people that Jesus was, wasn't an ordinary person. In effect, it really proves that Jesus is who he claims to be, Son of God, Saviour. It proves that. So let's go to John chapter 20, and this is verses 30 and 31. And you'll probably find that these verses will get read a lot over the next several weeks because we're on a series. We're on a series, and um, so and you should have that up there called Revealed. And this will be going on for at least seven weeks or so. And so these particular verses are crucial. So I'm just going to read that that one, John chapter twenty, verse thirty and thirty-one. This is what it says. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. So he did a lot more than what we read here. 
But these are written so that you may continue to believe or believe, depending on your translation, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have life and power in his name. And so Jesus did miraculous stuff. It got people's attention and it proved that he's who he claimed to be, Son of God, Saviour. And when Jesus does something, when he speaks, when he does miracles, you've got to either do something with it or choose to, to, choose to reject it. In other words, you have a choice. Do I choose Jesus or do I choose to reject him? When you read the scripture, many chose to reject him and many chose to believe in him. Jesus did a, a miracle called turning the water into wine. We know about that. Chad preached on that a couple of weeks ago. Chapter 2, verse 11. And in that, it tells us that this is when his glory was first revealed and that his disciples believed in him. Now, I'm thinking, what does that mean? And the thing is that when John talks about believing or belief... It's his, he uses that word instead of faith. And so if you start reading John's Gospel and where the word believe comes up and put the word faith in, you'll find it works really well. And so for the disciples to start believing, it's like their faith in Jesus was fixed. It really got nailed that day and his glory was shown. <coughs> but it was at that miracle that they really started to believe in him. And so miracles, miraculous signs are crazy things. They get your attention. If someone gets healed and you know they've got healed, that gets your attention, doesn't it? If you're the one who's on the receiving end, that gets your attention. And yet people still choose not to believe in him, just believe in the miracle. How can you believe just in the miracle, not the miracle worker? But it happens. It happened in Jesus' day and it happens in our day. (laughs) But when God does stuff, we need to do something with it. When you go back to that story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, he did this incredible thing in the power of God. Defeated 950 or 850 pagan prophets. That's awesome. And then when it was all over, he went back to town, ran at the speed of light under the power of the Spirit, caused a rainstorm, all of that. The next day, he's burnt out. He's hit the wall. He's had it. He's used it all up. And, a lot, and Jezebel's threatening to get him, and he runs for his life. You've got to say, what the? He was up there in Mount Carmel yesterday, and look at him here running for his life. An angel helps, and this means when you do amazing things in the power of God, the next time something is in front of you, you need a fresh act of faith. You need to believe again. You cannot draw it out of the bank of yesterday. You need to take it. You need to know that happened. It helps you. But each day is a fresh act. Yesterday tells you God is faithful. So I'm going to move on with that. So he runs. An angel feeds him on the way. Goes for 40 days and 40 nights and ends up on Mount Sinai. You think, what's the matter with this boy? Well, he'd had it. And so if you're in a situation where you're burnt out and had it, It happens, but God is still with you and he'll do something with you and get you back on track. It happened to Elijah. So he's up on the mountain and God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he whinges. If you read that and put a whingy tone in it, you know, it works. He says exactly the same thing afterwards, put a different tone in, it works. And so God says, okay, come out of that cave. And God sends this windstorm and he splits rocks. What sort of windstorm splits rocks? Then there's an earthquake and a firestorm. 
And then this small voice says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He got his attention, really had his attention. Before, Elijah was just listening to his pain and his grizzles and his problems and his issues. Gets his attention. Answers in the same words, but this time the tone is different. What I'm trying to say, miracles will get your attention. You still have to do something with it. He went back and got him with what God wanted him to do. So, miraculous signs. If you look in John's Gospel, <laughs> you don't really see the word miracle or miracles. It's always miraculous signs depending on your translation. My translation says miraculous signs. Some will just say signs. If you look at the original word, which I will not pronounce the original word, it says signs. And so I thought, well, okay. And so signs, in John's Gospel, the word for sign in New Testament understanding means things like this. It means proof or evidence. And that word is used when the shepherds were told to go and find the baby in Bethlehem and, and you'll see this sign, you'll see this proof or evidence. It can mean a miraculous operation. I don't know how people dream up ways of explaining these words. It can mean a remarkable event or an extraordinary phenomenon. And so <laughs> a sign is all of this. And so to use the term miraculous sign is okay. It's a really good way of saying it. Signs just don't, doesn't cut it, does it? So the miraculous bit really works for people like us. <coughs> and so that's what miraculous signs do. The thing is with them, they tend to do things to people when you talk about them or when they see them. Some people don't like it. I can't understand why not. I love miracles. They don't like it. It unsettles it and unnerves them. Some people get really angry. And other people just get really excited when they see a miracle or they hear about, wow, that is awesome, <coughs> that is amazing. And other people just say, it can't be true, it can't be true. You've got to face a few things about yourself when you take that approach. Some years ago, it was a lot of years ago, <coughs> in fact it was in 1978, I've talked about this before, Maureen and I went to our first Easter camp. We were, I was around the 30 mark and Maureen was still in a teen, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> she always says, I married a child bride, and back in those days you probably could, but it's not. <laughs> Moving on. Fortunately, that's not true. That's just been silly. But she, tell, no, she tells people she was a child bride, but she came from Bradford in, in Yorkshire, and you know, that happens there. Anyway, I'll just. <laughs> <laughs> if you went to Bradford, you'd understand. Anyway, <laughs> I just lost it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just laughing at myself. Um, and so we went to our first Easter camp and we went as, an, as part of a, like a young adults group. But there was a massive camp, 300 teenagers with this camp at the sports centre at Mount Barker before they built the one they had there. It was just this big old shed. And John Smith of the God Squad was doing the ministry. Some of you are old enough to remember him. And he had the God Squad, all these Christian bikers, some of them barely converted, out of hell's angels and all of that. And Maureen at this camp was really struggling because she had severe arthritis in her neck and shoulders and she had these issues around her hips and stuff like that and it was really debilitating. She's just in her 20s. Somewhere through the weekend, 
Some of the ladies grabbed her to go and pray for someone else and they stood outside the ladies' toilets in the rain, in the drizzle, in the mud at Mount Barker at Eastern. It's freezing. And they said, oh, we'll pray for you now, Maureen. And she goes down in the spirit and gets totally healed around the neck and shoulder. She just comes back to the tent just a let go, like this big grin on her face. And it's absolutely amazing. And then on a Sunday night, there's this call for ministry and all these young people run to the front and they're on their knees and they're crying and I just went to the front and put my arms around some and that's when God birthed the passion for young people in my heart and I'm looking back, I recognise that. In the meantime, Maureen's about from here to the sound desk away, sitting there and her tips are twisting all around like this and she said, oh my God, what's going on here? She wasn't praying either and one of the bikey girls, she comes running down, we'd made friends with her and she knew something was going on, what's going on? I don't know but I'm being healed. The thing is, Maureen had twice experienced a miraculous sign, incredible healing. And then she decided she ought to tell my dad. And I can remember her and my dad sat on the front stairs of, our, of their house in Wyala, and she's telling my dad about this stuff. He'd been brought up in church three times a day and he hated it. And he stopped going. And, uh, and my dad shaking his head. It just unnerved him. Just unnerved him. He really didn't know what to do with it. And my mum, well, she just totally denied it. And, more, and she just pretended it never happened. And she'd say to people, oh, Maureen's got arthritis, haven't you, Maureen? No, it'd be years later. I haven't. I got healed of that. And then mum would stop talking about it. And that, and so some people, some people just, just, it happens. Yet at the same time, I came, we came home from that and I was working with this guy about my own age. Jim, his name was. We were electricians out in the steelworks working out there <coughs> and he was, he, he was a, like a lapsed type Catholic or once in a while. And, but I'd be talking about these things. And he got really interested. And he was telling his wife. And just after Easter camp, we'd be, I'd been telling him at work, knock on the door one night. Him and his wife come around. Can we come around for the evening? He wanted to come around. They wanted to talk about this stuff. They were there at 2 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock or something like that, just talking about Jesus. Awesome. And I want to say... They got really into faith and, and received Christ, stayed in the Catholic Church. Their priest was a charismatic Catholic, so he understood the whole thing about having a personal relationship with Jesus. He got very excited about it. So it can have that, those miracles had that sort of effect on that guy. That's, that, that's, that is awesome. So miracles can do that. They can unsettle people and they can excite people. But you need the power of the Holy Spirit to really talk about it. Because if you try and do it yourself, you'll probably mess it up. And so you need the power of the Holy Spirit. In John's Gospel, I think it's John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 26, it tells us that the Holy Spirit will teach us stuff and he'll remind us of what Jesus has told us. Holy Spirit will empower us. He will tell us how to explain the miracles. And so if miraculous stuff starts happening and you want to explain it and talk about it, ask the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Help me to explain this. So there we go. We're talking about miracles today. Miracles are great. We're going to be talking about miracles for weeks, aren't we, Rachel? She's got a massive one in short in, in a, in a, next week. So we're on this series, and it's called Revealed, and the John chapter 20, verse 30, 31, basically it sits on all of that. About It, it, it shows who Jesus is. The miracles show who he is. So a couple of weeks ago, Chad preached on the water being turned into wine and that's his first, the first miraculous sign. His glory was seen and the disciples believed there. That's an, an incredible story. <laughs> and in effect, in, in, a, in a sense, it also affects what I'm talking about today. 
Next week, Rachel's talking on the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, how massive is that? And she's going to have an awful amount of fun letting that, working that one out and telling, talking about that. And, uh, you know, you never know. Maybe we all ought to just bring her just a small source of food that day and then see what happens. <laughs> anyway, I just... Um, and so today... I'm talking about the second, that's the fourth sign, the third sign's coming later. I'm talking about the second sign, which is this in, found in John's Gospel, chapter, chapter 4, verses, um, can't read it, verses 43 to 54. And so it comes out of that. And this is the story of how this official son was really sick and he was dying. He comes from Capernaum to Cana and asks Jesus, is it Cana or Cana? What do you like? Who likes Cana? Who likes Cana? Okay, it's Cana. <laughs> it's Cana. I don't want to be irritating people. Some of you are saying, you're already doing that, so just get on with it. And he comes to Cana and asks Jesus to heal, heal the boy. And Jesus says, go. He's, he's already getting better. And he goes home and he's, he's made well. Now, that is, that is an amazing story. It's an amazing story. <laughs> so I'm going to read it so sit back sit back boys and girls I'm going to tell you a story okay so Jesus by the way had just come from Samaria he stayed there for two days at the end of the two days Jesus went on to Galilee he himself said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and seen everything he did. As he travelled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come to Judea to, to Galilee, from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Oh, he was really sick. And Jesus said this, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, Go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said, and he started home. While, Jesus, while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them, when did the boy, he asked them when the boy had, be, had begun to get better. They replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock his fever disappeared, suddenly disappeared. Then the father realised that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Now that is like just a, a wonderful story. Now, I want to put a little challenge out here, which I hadn't planned, but it'll only take 10 seconds. <coughs> All of you need to get hold of that story and read it and then tell the story to someone in your house or that sort of thing. And then get them to read it and tell you the story. Until you can tell a story, not that you're quoting the scripture, you could tell a story that you get every bit of that story in. In other words... Put yourself in it like, I was there, I was there, I was there at Cana, I was there. And tell the story as if you were there or you were with the official's retinue sort of thing, with his entourage, and you'd come up with him. Tell a story. You really learn to understand and know what the scripture is about when you start telling the stories.
So you're going to do that? Yeah. yeah, okay, okay. Someone asked answer for everyone. Thanks, Mal. You're elder of the church, so you have that right. That's great. great. <laughs> so in verse 43, it says, At the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. So Jesus had been in Samaria. <laughs> we all know that where there are Samaritans, there are no Jews. And where there's Jews, there's no Samaritans because they absolutely dislike each other. The Jews despise the Samaritans and the Samaritans aren't too fond of the Jews. Uh, Jesus had been in Samaria. He'd been travelling from Judea, going towards Galilee. And he'd stopped, there, stopped at, a, at a village called Sychar and there's a well and he's there and this woman comes and he speaks into her life and basically tells her everything that she's done. And she wasn't that flash, but she got really excited about that. It's amazing. Imagine if you had a few dark secrets, some strange man starts telling you what you've done, you probably get really annoyed about that. She got so excited because he was a prophet. But somehow there's something about him that that she was drawn to. She runs back to the village, tells them all, and some people start believing in Jesus. Then they come back, and, and then they ask him to stay for two. These Samaritans, usually Samaritans, say, would you just keep going and that, so we can clean the ground up where, you, where you've been? And, and so he's there for two days with these Samaritans. And then so he gets into Galilee, and in verse 40, 44 and 45, I... It's almost like, why why on earth is this here? And this is what it says. He himself had... I'll read the lot. At the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honoured in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him before they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebrations and seen everything he had done there. And I'm thinking, well, no one's rejecting him here. We know at Nazareth from the other Gospels that they rejected him there. But outside of that, that wasn't happening here. And so he has come from Jerusalem through Judea, through, through Samaria. So that probably took three or four days all up at the most. And here he is in Galilee. And you could guarantee he's thinking about his time in Jerusalem, thinking about what happened there. He, was, he did miracles. Some people believed in him, but the, the depth of that belief wasn't that fantastic. And the authorities basically rejected him. And so he was rejected. He was dishonoured in Jerusalem. And so here he says that a prophet isn't honoured in his own hometown or his own country. The thing is that the word used here basically means native place. So that gives a bit of a different meaning, doesn't it? A different feel. And for a, a devout Jew, your native place effectively is Jerusalem. And so Jesus is probably still thinking about this stuff and he's seen all these Galileans who are welcoming him. Are welcoming him. They'd been to Jerusalem, seen the miracles. They'd come back, the word had got around and they want him there. And so he's thinking about that. And in a sense, I think there's almost like a comparison going on in his head. He's been through Samaria. And the Samarians welcomed him. And his own people in his native place in Jerusalem rejected him. It could mean something like that. When you get to heaven, check it out and ask what the real thing happened. And you can tell me. But it's probably something like that. So, 
As he, first four, verse, oh dear, I'll have to change my glasses. Verse 46, as he travelled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. So here he is, he comes to Cana. Cana's about 30, 40 kilometres from Capernaum. Capernaum's down on Lake Galilee. This is away from the lake, and it's uphill all the way. And I, I've never been there, but I understand the way up is really steep. So this official had come uphill from, from Capernaum. It would have been a bit of a trip, especially if he was in a hurry because his child was sick. And so this is where Jesus turned the water into wine. We know that. And as Chad pointed out a couple of weeks ago, that no one really knew what happened. Well, Jesus knew that it was water in those jars, put in those jars. His mother knew. His disciples knew because they believed in him because of this. And the servants who put the water in the jar and went and drew the, drew the wine out. Now, some of you have watched things like Downton Abbey. I've never really watched it, but I've got an idea what it's about. Some of you are grinning. Some of you watch. You know what those big householders are like. They've got the wealthy owner. They've got the butler. They've got all, all the household staff. Servants talk. They gossip. And you could guarantee those servants didn't, didn't keep quiet. They would have been talking about. So that story would have got around. The Galileans had come back from Jerusalem talking about what Jesus had been doing, doing the miraculous stuff. And so he'd heard about this. And this man is desperate. And so he heads up to Cana to get Jesus to come back to heal his son. And so this man is a royal official. My translation says he's an official. Some of your translations may say royal official. Royal official is probably a good translation. The word basically means that. So he's someone who works for a king. And so he would have been one of King Herod's officials, a senior official. Herod was the king of Galilee, not of Judea. That was his father, who was that king. So you have Herod Antipas. He's the, the king. He's actually wasn't really king. He was a tetrarch. Can you, tetrarch, that's what he was. Galilee was a tetrarchy. I'm, I'm not kidding you. This is true. And so he was a tetrarch, and, but basically people referred to him as a king. So this man was one of his senior officials. And so he, was, he would be well off. He had a lot of clout, and he would have come up to Cana with a retinue. He would have had a couple of his close advisors. He would have had his security guys. He would have had his slaves. There was a whole bunch of them. And they came up there and he begs Jesus to come and make his son better. Now, the thing is it says he begs, but the point is, how did he beg? How did he beg? You think about it. He's of the upper crust. He's used to speaking down to people. The only people he probably speaks nicely to is his son who's very sick, maybe his wife, who knows, um, and people at his own level or above him. And so he's an upper crust type person. And so he comes and asks Jesus or begs Jesus to come and make his son well. And then Jesus says this in verse 48. And he said, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? And you think, that's a bit harsh. You know, Jesus wasn't harsh. 
Jesus, Jesus was like this compassionate, amazing person and really didn't like people being sick and wanted to make sick people better. And I was thinking about that one and having a look at stuff. Maybe his tone, his attitude, maybe he came and says, look, my son is really sick, will you come and make him better? And immediately a couple of his guys come along and stood by Jesus and started to walk him out. It could have been something like that, just expecting him to go because basically these sorts of people say, you come, you go. It's, it's like that, jump and you go. And maybe his tone was officious. And it's almost like Jesus didn't quite understand totally what was going. You need to understand, Jesus at this point couldn't read minds. He only knew what the Holy Spirit told him, and maybe the Holy Spirit hadn't told him anything at this particular point. He could read people, but maybe this guy was a fishes. The thing is, he'd been in Jerusalem. He'd been in Jerusalem, and he'd, there'd been signs and wonders. He'd done miraculous signs, and people still rejected him. And other people just were there for the miracles. They wanted to see the spectacular. They wanted to see the miracles, but didn't want to know about the miracle worker. And you think, how could that be? You just go to any major conference today where there's a lot of Holy Spirit activity and there's stacks of them there. Stacks of them there. They're just there for the spectacular. They're there for the fireworks. They're there for all that stuff. You know, I love these things. I love these things when the gold dust is falling and people are falling on the floor and getting healed and getting set free from this and all this crazy stuff. There's a bit of weird behavior. I love all that. And... uh, and that, but at the end of the day, it's not about that. It's about Jesus. But for some, that's all it's about. I've been to these things and I've had people say to me, oh, was there any gold dust? I don't know. Uh, I wasn't looking for it. Um, and they're more interested in the spectacular and in the gold dust rather than people's lives being transformed and Jesus just making something out of their lives. So you need to understand that. <clears throat> people will follow the miracles around, but... Really, the miracle worker, unless the lives are changing and being transformed and you're turning into better people and becoming more like Jesus, you're just chasing miracles. It happens. Look, a few years ago when we were still pastoring Gateway, we had this big event there one night and we had this visiting ministry guy and he was a singer and all this sort of stuff. And he had a following. More, he's just laughing. He had a following. And it's a whole heap because a lot of really incredible stuff would happen when he was around. I'm okay with that. It's just, it's just that sometimes those who follow that stuff around really love that, but I don't know what else they love. And there's just stuff going on. It's just absolutely crazy, and that's okay. Look, God's doing stuff here. And at one stage there, I'm just worshipping. Next thing, these two strong hands started massaging my shoulders. Now, you need to understand, I'm okay with that if I know you. But if I don't know you, I'm a bit touchy. <laughs> it's not that I'm standoffish, it's just the way I'm wired. Um, and there's this guy, just massive, and it was really hard. And I, just, I sort of jumped, turned around, and there's some guy, and I jumped away from it. <coughs> and he, I, I can't remember what we said there. Anyway, I just sort of moved away a bit. I said, well, I, didn't, I didn't know him. I had, had no, no, no idea who he was. And then later on, I walked around the side of the room to the back and I often do things like that when stuff's going, see, what, just see what's happening to people, see what God's doing. And sometimes you see, even see me doing that here and that's what that's about because I, sometimes I just, you just say, what is God doing over there or here? And sometimes you just see stuff. Anyway, so this guy is at the back and his arms are lifted up and he's just lost in worship. 
And then he puts his hands, look, looks around, sees me, and he went from full up worship, adoration of God, to this snarl appears on his face. Why did you? And he got into my face because I'd shrugged his hands off my shoulders. And I thought, I, I think I managed to calm him to a degree. Then one of my guys, a really big guy, Dave Elliott, if you know Dave, he's standing there looking really concerned. Good guy to have around in those situations with Dave. He always had your back, and I have to say that. that Dave was always great like that and Dave just sort of standing there and this guy sort of after a bit calmed down I thought how can you go from fallen worship to really angry at someone because they didn't like you massaging their shoulders sometimes you can be chasing the miracles and forget about actually who's causing the miracles but God does stuff I'll just tell you another one of those crazy stories that happened there and then I'll I'll move on Not long after we retired, um, we were at church one night and we had this visiting speaker. And he, he was he, he a really good speaker, very gifted speaker. But somewhere <laughs> in the night, he started speaking against some of the phenomena when the Holy Spirit turns up, like gold dust and stuff like that. He start, and he got really passionate about that. It's not in the Bible. We only got, need to understand this, that... Sometimes things aren't in the Bible, but some things will stand up with the Bible because God does stuff. God does stuff. And it isn't always recorded in the Bible. The fact is that God might have given you a new house, probably isn't, or a new car. That'd be a better one because none of them are in the Bible. What I'm trying to say is (coughs) he was passionate about this. In the meantime, Maureen sat there. You need to understand that Maureen gets gold dust. She gets it here, she used to get it there, she gets it, sometimes she has it on the face, sometimes she has a little bit, sometimes she has lots, sometimes she has oil, and that, that's Maureen. And he, occasionally gets a couple of bits, <laughs> once in a blue moon. And I think they dropped off of her anyway. And now occasionally I've had my own, but not, not very often. And so Maureen's looking at her hands, and her hands are just covered in gold. And I look down the row, and, and just down the row, there's three or four young adults who had been experiencing this sort of stuff. And they're looking at their hands, smiling, looking at Maureen, <laughs> with all these, these crafty looks sort of thing. We never said anything because it wasn't worth it. I talked to Mike Van Tintram. Mike preached here a, a, a couple of years ago, and I talked to him one day since about that. And uh, I said, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's not complicated. It's really, it's just a sign of the presence of God. End of story. He wasn't interested in discussion anymore because there was nothing to discuss. And so... <coughs> The whole thing is, that stuff's exciting, but the one who brings the miraculous, he's much more exciting. He's much more exciting. And so, <laughs> Jesus it almost seems like he's thinking, this guy is more interested in the miraculous than the miracle worker. All he wants is a miracle. Well, he certainly did. But you know what? This is what the official said. Jesus said this stuff, and the official didn't even answer that. And he says this, the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. You see, he actually didn't want signs and wonders. He didn't want miracles. He didn't want the spectacular. He just wanted his son to get better. Do you get what I'm saying? He didn't, he didn't want all that stuff. He just wanted his son to get better. Well, in fact, he wanted a miraculous sign, <coughs> but one for his son. And you can see Jesus', <coughs> Jesus heart melt, and he says, you go home and your son will live. And the man believes in him, and he goes home. When it's, John says the man believes in him, it means he has faith that his son will get well. And he heads off home, believing <coughs> with faith that his son 
was going to get better. Now, that is, that is amazing, isn't it? That's a wonderful thing. He's confident. There's a few complicating things in there about the time he got home and when all this happened and how far Cana and Capernaum apart, but you can work that one out for yourself because it doesn't really matter for what I've got to say here. <coughs> and so he heads home and sickness had to go. <coughs> Death had to back off. <coughs> this man had heard about miracles. He'd never seen one but here he got one and he was right in the middle of one. And what's more, the miraculous sign, <coughs> the healing, was at a distance. And so it just seems that God doesn't care exactly where you are for you to have a miraculous sign. <coughs> you can be 40 kilometres away in Capernaum. You can be 400 or 4,000 kilometres or 40 millimetres <coughs> away. God doesn't really care. As far as he's concerned, his power works at any distance because basically he made it and he's in charge. So <laughs> the thing is with this miraculous sign, it's about healing. It's also about healing at a distance. It's also about death having to give way, having to back off. But it's more than that. There is a prophetic tone to this story. There's a prophetic tone to this miraculous sign. It foreshadows the cross. And on the cross, Jesus died a terrible death so that we might be set free of our sins, that we might be forgiven. He was a ransom for our lives. He paid a price and he died terribly. But on the cross, we were forgiven. The power of sin was broken. Our illnesses were sorted out. The scripture tells us that. And death was defeated. You need to understand that. On the cross, death was defeated. This story points to that. It points to illness being sorted out. And so when Jesus was raised from the dead, when he rose to life, heaven roared, death, where is your sting? And so... This story points to that, but it points beyond that to the time when Jesus will return in glory. And when he returns in glory, the devil will be destroyed. Death will be destroyed. Death will no longer exist. There will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more pain, no more of any of that sort of stuff, no more unhappiness and misery. His eternal kingdom will be established. There will be streets of gold and there will be banquets and there will be, we'll be in the presence of God and we'll have mansions. It will be a place where we are in the presence of God forever and we'll know the fullness of his glory. And that is the good news of the gospel. That is our destiny. That is our ultimate destiny. <laughs> and so for Jesus, he's just done something amazing here. And for this man, he arrives home and his servants come to meet him <coughs> and they say, your son's alive, he lives. He's just bouncing around all over the place. He's a little boy. He's probably got up and wondered what the problem is, <coughs> asked for something to eat and he's running around and he's having a great time. And, he said, and then they started talking and it turns out he got better at exactly the time when Jesus says, go home, your son lives. And this man believed. This means he had like surrendered his life to Jesus. 
It's like something personal happened here. In other words, he had faith. This is saving faith. He understands saving faith can happen before the cross as well as after the cross. This is the kind of faith that secures his salvation. And who else believed? Who else believed? His entire household. (laughs) His wife. He may have had more than one wife. He would have had probably other kids. He would have had a household manager. He would have had senior advisors. He would have had servants. He would have had slaves. They all had families. They're all part of the household. He would have had guards. He would have had soldiers. All part of his household. And the whole lot of them believed, had faith in Jesus, (coughs) surrendered their lives to Jesus. This is what miraculous signs will do. Some people will reject the sign, (coughs) don't want to know about it, and others will just embrace it, but more importantly, embrace the Jesus who brings the miraculous sign, who loves us deeply and changes our lives. Miraculous signs will change lives. (coughs) And we as a people more and more need to have that confidence that God wants to use people like us for the miraculous. Really. I'm going to tell this story and then I'm going to finish. And then we're going to open the front up and we're going to do some heap of ministry here today. Not sure what it's going to be, but God knows. He actually does. That sounds a bit... Anyway, back at those Easter camp days at Mount Barker at the sports centre... A couple of years after that, we went to camps there year in, year out. <coughs> a couple of years. And by the way, the camp still is going. And Jake and Rachel are going up there to speak at Easter. I just thought I'd just mention that. That's pretty awesome. They're going to go, they're, they're, the, they're the couple of the speakers this year. <coughs> and so we had this <coughs> massive night. There's probably 250 campers at that one. And I think it was Dan Armstrong. And some of you will know that name, Dan Armstrong. He's getting on a bit now is Dan, but he's just like this dynamic, powerful man of God who was absolutely crazy and amazing and a full-on evangelist. And, you know, he's the sort of people that people just say, yeah, Dan Armstrong, he changed this, he changed that. So Dan had been, and so Dan had been preaching and people had come off the front and they got saved and people are getting healed and ministry just went on all around the building and people are getting praying for each other and people are on the floor, people are crying, weeping, laughing. It's just... You know that glorious chaos you get, you know? Don't you love that? Do you love that? Glorious chaos? Oh, I do. Anyway, so anyway, so I started talking to this young guy, he's about 16, and he was like glowing. And I said, what's, what's been going on with you? He says, oh, he says, that was amazing tonight. Somewhere in the night, he said, he asked God to show, his, show him his kingdom. He said, God, show me your kingdom. And he did. He showed it to me. And he described this vision he'd had of, of, a, of a physical, like a, a, a kingdom, like this city. He described all this stuff, and he's just glowing. And I said, what do you think it means? He says, I don't know. What do you think it means? And so I just, we just started talking about when he'd become a Christian, or when I started going to church last year, or when I started going to youth group a few months ago, Oh, so it turned out, really, he'd never submitted himself to Jesus, surrendered his life. So I said to him, you know what? 
You ask God to show him his kingdom, show you his, show you his kingdom, and it's like, and he did. He says, yeah. I says, like God is saying to you, now here's the kingdom. Why don't you come on in? He says, yeah. Do you want to do that? Yeah. So we prayed and had those types of prayers, and he just stepped into the kingdom in a wonderful way. He's the only one who saw that miracle. But it was real, and his life was changed forever. So the band can come up too. That would be great. So miraculous, miraculous signs are wonderful. And they're arresting, and they're life-changing. And they point to the kingdom of God, and they demonstrate the kingdom of God. They prove that Jesus is who he claims to be, the Son of God. They show his glory, and people believe. So today... What do you do with all of that? Well, it's simple. Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand? Here's the challenge. And the challenge is really this, is to open your heart to Jesus, open your heart to the miraculous, open your heart to his love, and believe in him. This is the challenge. There's nothing complicated there. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.